Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Hot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Thankfully, we have a win to talk about following Tottenham's 2-0 victory over West Ham. The man of the moment, Emerson Royale on the score sheet again and Son Heung-min getting a much-needed goal. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, all good. Always good to talk about a victory and, you know, especially a derby one. And yeah, it's so many talking points within this one as well. Obviously, no manager present, players stepping up in the absence of other players and Tottenham Hotspur back in the top four. Suddenly, it's just funny how just one result can kind of change the whole outlook of everything that's happening right now. Um, but it's about consistency. But yeah, plenty to crack on with in this episode. Yeah, it was uh, certainly a much-needed win, especially with Newcastle dropping the points uh, a day earlier when they lost against Liverpool. Newcastle, you know, haven't really been winning in recent weeks, so that's given Spurs a chance, you know, to creep in and then uh, jump ahead of them. And thankfully, they managed to do that with a 2-0 win over West Ham. You know, it wasn't the prettiest games at times, but I thought Tottenham looked a lot, lot better in the second half. I think they finished the first half well, probably the last five or ten minutes. And I think once they got that opener from Emerson Royal, and what a brilliant goal that was. I think there was only one winner after that. And, you know, Son coming off the bench and getting, uh, I think it was his fourth league goal of the season. Was, you know, quite astounding, really, given we're midway through February and it's early his fourth goal in the league. Uh, but, yeah, I think... At this stage of the season, it's just, you know, the three points is all that matters. And as you were saying, I think the Premier League table makes for better reading now. Yeah, absolutely does. It was it was a strange game because the first half, I think we have to be perfectly honest, it was dull as dishwater at times. It really was. It was like West Ham had clearly come to pretty much set up quite compactly, uh, know that the way Spurs play, they can struggle against teams that sit back. And then hope to catch Spurs on the break with, you know, Bowen and Antonio, mainly the players that were looking to spring them into action. Um, and it was very much kind of, in my talking points earlier, I kind of compared it to Spurs trying to kick down the door to the West Ham goal in the first half. Whereas kind of just before half time, they almost realised, oh yeah, we've got a key. And then they started to actually do the right things and be more incisive with their play. And I don't think it's any surprise that the two goals came from two absolutely fantastic penetrative passes right splitting the defence in half. I mean, especially Hoybier's. Hoybier's pass is one of those that if that had been, let's say, Kevin De Bruyne, honestly, all the match of the days, everything would be talking about that. They'd be talking about one of the... the I mean, the this this vision to be able to play that ball. So I think, they, to be fair, I think on match of the day two it would have been, wasn't it? I, I did see that late, late, late last night that they kind of showed how many players he'd taken out by that one pass. And it, and it was, it was a brilliant pass. And obviously Davies' run was fantastic as well down the left-hand side to, to anticipate that kind of pass that very few players can actually play. And then Emerson Royale. Tottenham's new centre-forward, Emerson Royale, in the box, doing the most calm finish I've ever seen from someone not renowned for their goal-scoring exploits. It was just a brilliant goal. And, and had that come from probably any of the other much-fancied teams, 
I think they'd be raving about that goal. Um, and I think, you know, I hope when, let's say, for instance, when Spurs fans kind of do give Hoybier a bit of a battering sometimes, I hope they kind of remember that goal and think what an amazing kind of playmaker-esque pass that was. And I hope that before games when they're saying, oh, we've got no chance because Ben Davies is playing as left wing back, they remember the brilliant run and pass assist and all of that for, for Emerson's. And likewise, and I'm including myself in all of these things, not just the fans, and likewise with Emerson, when when Muppet Tottenham correspondents from Football London like myself <laughs> write that he's got no attacking kind of instincts whatsoever, look at a goal like that. And, and clearly the man can do it. And now it's a case, I guess, of just finding some consistency in that. And a brilliant goal. And the second goal. I mean, the second goal was this classic Kane and Son. We've seen that goal so many times. And I think it's a goal that we need to see a lot more of in the remainder of the season because if those two can click, suddenly Spurs are just such a different prospect. Um, but yeah, a derby win and all very good as well, really, especially second half. The atmosphere changed completely in the stadium um, and it became a real kind of rocking derby atmosphere. Um, and yeah, West Ham didn't really threaten. Other than that one Bowen chance straight after Emerson's goal, that was about it. Yeah, I think West Ham really probably had a good first five, maybe ten minutes. But I think, in fairness, Tottenham started slow as well, and, mm. and you know, gave Bowen them hit a really uh, early shot wide, didn't he? That I remember yeah. that right in the first like almost minute or two. Yeah, I think that was after fifty seconds. But other yeah. than that, Fraser Foster, really, I can't think of anything he had to do during the game. Yeah. It was a pretty easy uh, game for him, and that's what you want for your goalkeeper, first and foremost. So, yeah, I think the main thing was just getting the three points. And, I mean, as you were saying, two really, really good goals. We've seen it from Peter Milhoyberg before. He does have a, a really good eye for a pass. I think a couple of standout ones for me, probably in his first season at the club, the pass for Serge Aurier's goal at Old yeah, Trafford. Yeah, yeah. And I think he did one for Kane against Wolves at home as well. Did so he's, he do a chipped pass. There was a chipped ball, wasn't there, to him as well? I remember that one. Yeah, there probably was. Uh, mm. There's been quite a few. Obviously, it's not something you associate with his game that much, but he does very much have it in his locker. And for the two wing backs, that's what Conte's always wanted. Wing backs going forward, the other wing back being, you know, coming inside, getting on. Uh, the end of the ball and it, it worked uh, to perfection it was just really strange watching that goal and just seeing the front three of Richarlison Harry Kane and Dane Kulaseski nowhere in the picture at all yeah. end of the day it went in and then yeah the second goal uh, really good play from Kane uh, to get the better of Ogbonna then put it through for Son really really good first touch from Son that just said it brilliant first up. touch you know, uh, for the second touch to find the back of the net. So, all in all, really, really good day uh, for Tottenham. Uh, I think we should start with Emerson because uh, yeah. it has been some transformation uh, for him. I think if you go back three months, that Leeds United game where he was booed, you know, the ironic cheers when he came off in the 57th minute, in the space of three months, it's just been... Totally uh, transformed, just looks a totally different player. Uh, now, one who's certainly full of confidence, two goals to his name. He's attacking well, he's defending extremely well. And, you know, I think the 
confidence was just, you know, coursing through his veins yesterday after he scored because the flicks were out, the tricks, the no-look passes as well. Uh, I think he was loving life after that first goal and he took that so, so well. I mean, I think probably a few fans were having flashbacks of Musa Sissoko going through on goal in that instance because, you know, this could go end up, this could end up anywhere. But no, coolness from him. Uh He's playing so, so well and he, I think he got a massive cheer towards the end of the game. I think it was for a really, really good slide tackle on side Benarama and then literally moments later went and won the ball off Declan Rice as well. So I'm glad he's getting the credit he deserves because he very much uh, deserves it for his performance over the past month. And you're just thinking now, when's Pedro Porro going to get a game? Because he can't be dropping Emerson. For old Pedro Porro, he's probably thinking he's got his dream move, his forty million pound move to Tottenham Hotspur. Going to probably be the undisputed right wing back, and he's just found Emerson Royale in the form of his life. Honestly, he's been so good, and I don't, I, I must, hundred percent, honestly, I did not think we'd be at this situation in February, and we'd be talking about Emerson Royale probably being Spurs' best player. I think I think he maybe is right now. Um, I don't think there's anyone else that's been as consistently in form as he is over the past three weeks, four weeks or so. Um, he is honestly he's one of the hardest working players in that team, and always has been. Um, I think he just needed stuff to fall for him, you know, and just to go his way. Look, we know. He's not that whatever whatever I said about the goal. We know that on the whole, attacking is not his strength. It's just not. And there are times when you'll see him get the ball on the right hand side of the penalty area, um, in, in the attacking half, opposition half, and you know he doesn't really know exactly what to do with it. He'll hesitate, he'll try and look for someone else to pass the ball to. He doesn't actually sling in a lot of crosses. I think he'd actually rather pass it off to cro- than cross the ball in. And obviously. That is purely just the consequence of him being a fullback, not a wingback. But then you have days like yesterday where he clearly has this instinct. I think we've said it before. His movement is very good. Whatever you want to say about his his pass, the final ball, whatever, his actual movement is very good. And that's what leads to stuff like yesterday and moments like that where, he, like you say, the other th- the three front three were not even, I think they were barely in the opposition half. But the only person keeping uh, tabs on on Ben Davies was Emerson Royal, who's like, you know, he put the afterburners on. He was absolutely flying through. And like you say, the contrast between that day against Leeds, which was the most uncomfortable thing to watch ever. Uh, you could see a player essentially just almost felt like the end of his Tottenham career in that moment. And for him to turn it around in the space of a few months I do think probably the World Cup and the break was the best thing that could have happened in a weird way for him because it allowed him to reset. It allowed some of the fans to kind of maybe take their the direct their attention elsewhere and it didn't become a thing for the coming games after game. Um, and he's, he's just worked incredibly hard. His English is now really, really good. We were told a couple of weeks back um, that his English was, he was actually asking to do interviews in English. He was kind of confident enough. And I saw Spurs did one with him last night after the game, which, to be fair, it was very, very good. Some of the English, you know, I'm always in awe of people that are kind of speak another language. 
Um, and it was very, very good. He's very popular. It really, all of this is justifying his decision pretty much in deciding against moving away from the club, even though we know the club want, were willing to listen to offers for him and he didn't move. Um, and it's for, it's for moments like this. He's, I mean, he was superb against City. In some of the defeats, he's certainly been one of the better players as well. And then yesterday again, I think I've given him man of the match in two, two of the last three or four games as well, which I never thought I'd end up doing. Not so much for, more, more so, especially for the, for the attacking side of his game as well. And even at Man City, he scored as well, didn't he, in the, at the Etihad. Um, no, honestly, absolutely fair play to him. Um, and it seems like he's going to be a dad as well. So very, very good time for him. I think his girlfriend, he said in his interviews, pregnant with a, a little boy on the way. So that's fantastic news as well, which is why we got the old classic ball under the shirt pregnancy uh, celebration. Um, also allied with probably the most <laughs> violent celebration I've ever seen for a goal. <laughs> we had, what do we have? We had Richarlison running in grabbing his like collar so aggressively which then led to emerson grabbing him by the throat and then out of nowhere we get christian romero runs up and boots emerson up the backside which is just i've said it before but it's such a romero thing it's like he shows his affection by hurting you he is like that sibling that gives you a dead arm but it's only because he loves you um and it, honestly it, it shouldn't, but it really made me chuckle. And I found it funny that today I noticed that Emerson didn't even notice it in the moment. Obviously, the adrenaline must have been coursing through his veins. He didn't realize that Romero had booted him. And then he saw it. He put a little video up on his Instagram story and just with a little caption like, Cootie, I'm going to kill you kind of thing. It was such a sibling-type message. Um, so, yeah, it was a fantastic moment. Brilliant for Emerson. And like you say, I... I it's difficult to see at the moment any reason to put Porro in because why would you take out your most informed player, especially when the games are a week apart? I can understand it when the games start to become thick and fast again, and that's going to happen after the Chelsea game. But for now, fair play Emerson and just keep that going. Yeah, I think Porro might have to wait probably until the Sheffield United game because I certainly wouldn't change it against... Chelsea, then you'd expect uh, Christian Stellini and Antonio Conte will pretty much just go full strength against Wolves the following Saturday. And then there's the Milan game in the Champions League. So I think it might just be a case of Porro waiting for the Sheffield United game because you, you can't take him out of the team at the moment. I know a lot of people would maybe saying, well, given it's only even Perisic as the only left wing-back at the moment, or why don't you put Emerson over as a left wing-back to bring Porro in? But then Ben Davis more than made his case as well yesterday. So I think it is just a case of biding time on Ben Davis. What a performance. He played really, really well as a left wing-back. Uh, I think, did he say it's the first time he's played in that position? It's the first the time he started in the position. Yeah, so I was going to say he's gone there a few times during games, but never started. That's according to him. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I could remember him last season playing in it a couple of times. Uh, but no, really good. I mean, having played as a left back anyway throughout his career, he does have that you know attacking nous to his game, and he got forward a couple of occasions uh, yesterday. And I think it just shows that 
even though Ryan Sessignon is injured, Conte and Stellini do have another alternative uh, to Perisic because it's a bit bit of an ask for Perisic at the moment, you know, given his age, given, you know, the matches in quick succession that you just don't want to burn him out. So I think it was probably the ideal chance to bring Davies in at left wing back yesterday, even though I'd probably say 99.9% of Tottenham fans did expect Perisic to start the game. Yeah, I, I do feel for Ben Davies at times because it's like his, his, well, let's put it this way. If he plays against Chelsea, it'll be his 300th appearance for Tottenham. But I feel like that's kind of used as a bad thing. You almost get fans saying, oh, the fact that he's played 300 games for Spurs shows how you know poor Spurs have been, all this sort of stuff. I just find that so unfair. I just find that he's always been such an important squad player. And he can always come in, whether he's starting or whether he's coming in. He just... He always gives up. I don't really... I, there's been a few games where he's been poor, yes. And I think there's some... Often, actually, I feel like it's when he comes off the bench, actually. He's probably a little bit... Finds it harder to get into the rhythm of a game. But I feel that when he starts, he doesn't really let Spurs down that very many times. But I just feel like people remember the times when he had a tough day. And I just find that such a shame that 300 appearances for your club and you kind of have some people turning that into a negative thing. I, I just think he's absolutely come in yesterday. And, I mean, we we all looked at that lineup and thought, crikey, where's the creativity going to come from? You know, where's the that midfield kind of four, as it were? That's uh, that's a, that's not a lot of creativity in there, as it was. <laughs> Hoybier plays the pass of the match. Ben Davies makes the run of the match, gets an assist. Emerson scores the goal. So it kind of shows almost like, what do we know? If if four of those three players, and Skippy played very well, we're going to talk about him as well. But it was funny enough, rather than the front three, it was that midfield four who produced most of the kind of the important moments in that game. Um, but yeah, Ben Davies, it was a good performance for me. Um, out of position, doing a job for the team. And I mean, he admitted in his um, his interview after the game that I think a few home truths were said. Um, since it's been a common theme with Spurs this season, you might kind of almost feel like I could just just do a home truths kind of session every week because every time they do one of these, they go on and put in a really good team performance. It brings them a bit closer. Um, I think they did one ahead of Man City, didn't they? I think they had like a big old coming together and, and chat about being disappointed. I think it was maybe after... I'm trying to remember which game it was now. I, I think is, it was after City, before the Fulham game. And that's when they responded with the clean yes. sheet. That was New City were involved somehow, yes. Yeah. It was before City, that was it. Um, sorry, after... Yeah, Etihad City. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it's important that this team, in his words, is is more honest with themselves about stuff. I think sometimes... They like to point the finger at each other rather than acknowledging their own mistakes. And I think that is what you get with someone like Davies. I think he's very honest. I don't think he shies away from stuff like that. Um, If he's made a mistake, he'll own up to it. And I think if other players have, he'll also let them know um, and just not look for excuses. I think that's always been a Spurs thing. I think Spurs have always looked for excuses why this player isn't playing well or that player isn't or a mistake was made in a game or whatever. I think if they just kind of know what their jobs are and perform in that right way, that's how you get performances like they did um, on Sunday. And yeah, 
more of that, please. More consistency. Now we need to make sure that Spurs aren't getting into the same pattern as last year where it's like a win-loss, win-loss kind of thing. They've got to take advantage of um, Newcastle, who not only lost, but obviously got Carabao Cup final, so they miss a week, and then they go to Man City. So this is a real chance now for Spurs to really grasp hold of that fourth place if they want to. Yeah, it's, it's a decent run of fixtures coming up for yeah. Tottenham, so it is a big, big chance that they do have to grasp with both hands. Uh, shall we move on to the attackers now, and one in particular, uh, Richarlison. He came into the team uh, following the 1-0 defeat against AC Milan uh, in the Champions League on Tuesday. A number of Tottenham fans had called for him to come in, especially given the struggles of Son Heung-min and Dane Kulisewski. Richarlison didn't have the best of games, uh, shall we say. He, he started on the left. I think he had a couple of chances on goal. Uh, first one towards the end of the first half. It was something out of nothing, really, what he managed to create. It was a good ball over the top from Harry Kane. But the ball was you know, running away from goal. Bit of a tight angle. Did force the save out of Lucas Fabianski. And then after the break as well, some really good play from Kulisewski and Kane. And Kulisewski, instead of shooting, decided to lay the ball off to Richarlison on the edge of the box. And in all fairness, it was a bit of a tame effort, really. What was no trouble at all for Fabianski. And I think 68 minutes was all Richarlison got. He's, uh, he's had a bit of a tough time of late, especially through injuries before the World Cup and then straight after. And he's had to, you know, make do with minutes off the bench, I think. I think 20 minutes is the most he's got on the pitch since the start of the World Cup uh, and that came on Tuesday uh, away at Milan. So it's one of these when you do need to make an impact when you come into the team. I think that's what Conte's always said. If you are not getting the chances, the moment you do get one, you you know, you have to really take it with uh, both hands and for me, having you know watched him regularly over the past few years, I think what he really needs and what Tottenham need for him to get back to his very best is just a run of games. I don't think you can judge him solely on 68 minutes against West Ham. You know, especially as it has been such a stop-start season for him, he needs a run of games to show what he can do. But I don't know if he's going to get that. At the moment at Tottenham, he has had to, you know, wait patiently on the bench. But then you saw yesterday Kulisewski performed a lot better uh, after the first half. Really, really good in the second half. A lot went through Kulisewski. And then Son, you know, as he did in September when he's dropped to the bench against Leicester and got a hat-trick, he came on and got a goal within four minutes of uh, coming on. So it's, it's a tough one with Richarlison. He, I think he just needs a good running the team but I just don't see him getting it at the moment well this is the one or one of the frustrations I think yeah. people have with Conte is that for all of his talk about having strength and having options uh, in every position he doesn't really use them I mean you know you've got Richarlison who's a 60 million pound summer signing who if anyone out there is someone that gets regularly brought into the team You'd think it would be him. But when you look at it, I mean, the perfect example is Sonny, who, yes, we know he's had a tough season. Yet yesterday was only the second time in all competitions he's been you know, taken out of the uh, starting lineup when he's been available. 
the second time all season. Um, and, it, and it goes for the others as well. I mean, mainly uh, Richarlison was coming in for Kulusevski, wasn't he, really, earlier in the season. Um, there's no real rotation. Um, but then Conte will also say, oh, you know, I want to be able to rotate without the quality dropping. And it's like, well, the byproduct of not doing that earlier in the season is that now you've got players like Richarlison who look very rusty. He looks like a player that is not in his groove whatsoever. I mean, I know we're going to talk about Oliver Skip in a bit, but I think you're seeing the benefit of him now getting a couple of starts in a row. And it's just night and day between the performances. Um, and I think Richarlison would be exactly the same, but I'm exactly like you. I, I can't see him now starting against Chelsea, especially after what Son came on and did. But the irony is, is that match will have done wonders for both players. Richarlison will have more match fitness and sharpness. Son will have come on and scored a goal, so he will have a bit of his confidence back as well. Um, but I think they'll probably know it's not going to be a regular occurrence. I mean, you know, Dan Juma's come in. He didn't even get in the pitch yesterday. <laughs> Lucas Moura made his first appearance, I think, since October came off the bench. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of my bugbears with Conte. I think he does a lot of things right, Conte. But his use of players isn't fantastic. And then kind of he'll bring these players in and then they might struggle and then he'll maybe be able to say, ah, see, I told you. Not that he'd ever say that, but, you know, that's maybe what he's thinking. But yet he's never given them in the minutes to look sharp. So Richarlison, I kind of felt like Spurs almost used him as the battering ram in the first half to try and kind of tire out West Ham. And he, he was, to be fair, his movement was very good. He was constantly running around, giving them problems, keeping them occupied, so that when Sonny came on, they were knackered. And it was suddenly dealing with a very different kind of player who was looking to run in behind them rather than battle them face-to-face. -face. Um, so it worked in that respect. And then Christian Stellini afterwards was essentially making out that that was the plan. I, I don't entirely quite <laughs> go along with the fact that, yeah, no, we're going to spend 45 minutes not really doing anything or creating much so that the second half we could be great. I think that's maybe a little bit of a hindsight uh, comment, but it, it worked. So who am I to argue? But yeah, Richarlison, I, I, I hope better things will come. Um, he just needs more game time than he's getting. And for 60 million, he really should be. Yeah, exactly. You know what you're going to get from Richarlison. It's always going to work hard and make you know life difficult for the defenders as he did yesterday. But as a striker, as a £60 million striker, you're always going to be judged on goals. And all he's got is two this season. And for Richarlison himself and Tottenham, they need more end product from him. And it's a bit of a vicious circle, really, because uh, coming to the team, you know, maybe not done enough yesterday to justify a start against Chelsea. So now he's just going to have to, you know, buy this time on the bench and just wait for those opportunities uh, to come his way. It's, it's one of those things maybe with Porro, it's a case of his start will come against Sheffield United in the Cup. But it's good that he's back to full fitness now and he's an option for them to use. And yeah, fingers crossed he will get that game time over the coming weeks. It'd just be nice to see him get a bit of a run in the team, but I just can't see it myself. Right, Dane Kulseski. I think that was a classic game of two halves. Uh, first half, 
looked like a player who was just really, really low on confidence. At the minute, things weren't going for him. There was one occasion in the first half where I think he was in the middle of the pitch and the ball was just bouncing all over the place. just couldn't get hold of it. And another example, I think the box was loaded at one point and he put in the cross and he totally overhit it and it went out of play. Uh, but then he just seemed to be a totally different player after the break. And that was inside the first couple of minutes when he, you know, I think won the ball and teed up a chance for Richarlison. Then he did likewise. I think it was uh, Declan Rice. He got the better of and then played in Kane. And a lot of Spurs' good play in the second half did come from Kulisewski. So hopefully that gives him a bit of a confidence boost because he's, he's lots of shadow of himself, really, uh, in previous weeks, certainly not the player who he was towards the end of last season and at the start of this season as well. So, yeah, I think he can take a lot of positives from the second half, but it's just you want to see a 90-minute performance, I think, from him now. Yeah, I think we kind of, myself included, forget that he's only 22. And yeah. at that age, performances are going to be inconsistent. Um I think we've just been kind of lulled into this different belief because of just how incredible his start really has been overall to Premier League life. But yeah, he was he was poor in the last two games before Sunday. And then, yeah, definitely that fed into that first half. I mean, he was very fortunate, really, that it could have been either him or Son dropped quite easily or rested, uh, as it's called, um, from the game. And first half, he did. He was lacking a lot of confidence. He wasn't attacking the ball as much as I've, you know, we know he can do. Sometimes you just see him suddenly, he uses his frame very well. He can run towards it and like shove off other players. And he just wasn't doing that at all. And even there was a one time he cut inside and he thought, oh, he's going to curl one of his shots in. And he kind of didn't do it. He missed the opportunity and didn't do it. Or, or maybe it led to one that was blocked. I can't remember. But he didn't take the initial opportunity to shoot. Um, and then, yeah, whatever was said at halftime, I think I'd imagine by the way he came out, he was just told, get out there, press, work hard, win the ball back, and you'll be able to turn over the ball for us. And he did. Like you say, in the first two, three minutes, he won the ball twice down that right-hand side, and it led to chances, uh, including one that Kane really should have done better with um, through on goal on the right-hand side. Um, Kulisevsky, I think the main thing for me about Kulisevsky, and I think that's why they really would be reluctant to drop him is that he just offers that something a little bit different to all of the other attackers. I don't think any of the options are like Kulisevsky. He's the closest they have, maybe other than Kane, to a, a number 10. Um, I think, yes, he's playing on the right, but I do feel like he's the kind of man that he can just make things happen. He can drop a shoulder. He can suddenly create. Um, and, yeah, I think we saw a lot more of that in the second half. And like you say, he, he's got a good partnership with Emerson. I think they they know when each other, one, one of them will run on an overlap and the other will stick inside or turn inside. And that seems to work quite well. Um, and obviously, we, we yet to see how that works with Poro. That's something that's got to be built. But yeah, Kuzovsky is definitely... I can't imagine... Again, I think we'll probably see the front three against Chelsea again. I'd be surprised if Kulisevsky was rested for that one, especially with the week in between. But I do wonder whether that is Chelsea and then it's a Sheffield United game, isn't it? It comes straight after. So I wonder whether you might even see an entirely different front three. 
just to give them all a bit of a rest. Because, I mean, that next game in the Premier League is it's Wolves, isn't it? That's the Wolves is, after yeah. that. So that is a that's a tough game kind of physically as well with the way that Wolves get the ball around the pitch. So I know there'll be this kind of outcry of you've got to play your strongest team, but then you've also got to trust that your options are strong enough. So, yeah, I wonder whether he'll make a fair few changes for that game. I can see him making a couple of changes. Me, personally, I wouldn't go wholesale changes, especially... I don't think he can make too many changes no. in some positions, but I think up, up front you can. Yeah, I think there's certainly options there for him, but he's one of those where you're so close to the quarterfinals of the Cup surely just go strong to make sure you're in there because we all know what happened 12 months ago at Middlesbrough. Uh, but we'll wait and see. Obviously, Chelsea up first and then Sheffield United. So there's opportunities there for Stellini and Conte to rotate. And I think it will be the match at Bramall Lane where we do see a bit of tinkering uh, with the team. On the subject of the attackers, I think it was a, a good day for Son. Uh on the score sheet, uh, again, after coming off the bench, fourth in the Premier League, nine in all competitions uh, this season. But obviously, you know, after the game, Tottenham did put out uh, a statement, didn't they? Uh, obviously, some racist abuse coming Son's way online, which is one thing we don't want to see. Oh, it's just, it's just horrific. <laughs> really, I just, I will never, ever be able to... Uh get into the mindset of anyone that could ever decide that that's what they want to do. I just always feel with people like that, they're using football and social media as like a vehicle to just say the dark, horrible, twisted things that they want to say. It's absolutely nothing to do with football. It's nothing to do with anything other than them being very unpleasant individuals. And I just think the biggest problem with that is that there's just so little consequences still for people in doing that and you know you stamp out kind of one account and then they just come back with another account it's oh it's it's horrible i'd rather talk about the more positive things and that definitely was son and how he came on i thought it came on and really it was perfect for him i think i tweeted that earlier in the game that it almost felt like the game was ripe for him to come on and a really stretched west ham um and they were starting to tire and you know what? I think the, the best thing about Sonny, there's a lot of people out there who are looking to desperately explain why his form has been as it has this season. I think there's a lot of people offering up excuses for it. And I look and I see it, the one person that is doing none of that is Sonny. Sonny is just very plain talking. There was a good interview with him ahead of the game. I think it was in the Daily Mail. And he just came out and said, I know I've not been good enough. It's nothing to do with like, I think it was put to him, maybe it was the, because, um, you know, he could look for excuses. If he wanted to, they're, they're probably there to grab onto, you know. Obviously, he fractured his cheekbone in November. That's going to affect anyone. It was a horrible injury. He's been away at the World Cup and he wasn't fully fit. So, you know, he could quite rightly be knackered. And I think that's something that Stellini was saying yesterday. He can blame, let's say, Conte's system and the way that Perisic may be, um, utilizes a lot of the the left flank and that maybe leaves less space for Son to operate in. He can look for any of these excuses that I think people are, are offering up for him, but he's not taking them. He's just saying, no, no, this is about me. 
I've had a brilliant season last season, but for for this season, I'm not playing at the levels I know I can play at. He's not seeking excuses. He's not looking for any of that. And I, honestly, I, I really admire him for that. I think in football, there's a lot of blame culture, excuse culture, and he's not taking any of those roads. Um, and what I really liked was, I think last time when we saw him um, uh, benched for the Leicester game and he came on, and when he scored the first goal, he looked really angry, didn't he? It was almost of like, I can't believe you did this to me. Whereas this time he scored. It was only within four minutes, wasn't it, of coming on. And he was just absolutely delighted. It was a completely different son. It was, um, there was no anger towards anyone. It was a pure, okay, yeah, no, I don't like it, but it was fair enough. But here you are, I've come on and I've scored a goal. Um, he is, you know, it's one of, it's such a cliche about form being temporary and class being permanent. And that is, it's something that applies to Sonny. Absolutely. He's a wonderful player. He just needs to find his mojo and we need to stop having these kind of conversations where he's done something great, but then the next week it's, it's not the same. Um, he needs to find that consistency again that he found last season. And, you know, I know I've seen some people that blame Conte and, and think that Conte is kind of the main issue for him. I, I saw the quotes he said about Conte, honestly, because we I think it's very easy to forget that Son's best time of his career, I'd say, was that second half of, well, much of last season when Conte was in charge. Conte got the best out of him. You can't suddenly decide that Conte is actually the worst manager for him when he got the best out of him last season. And he said some really nice things about him. Um, you know, about Conte giving him absolutely everything he can, and that's why he wants to give back everything he can to Conte, um, especially during this difficult time for him. And yeah, I mean, you know, I think we what is it? It's the only the third Premier League game Son scored in this season, which is, I still find that remarkable with a player of his quality. That's just incredible. Regardless of who's in the team, the system, the setup, whatever, Sonny is a man that can score goals on his own. You know, I think he's just, I think, I think maybe as Ben Davies said, it just, just there's been moments where things just haven't fallen his way. Shots haven't gone in that he would normally put in. Um, and sometimes just accumulates into the, like a lack of confidence. But I just feel like maybe if we take the last what should we say, maybe the last month together, I think there's enough in there to suggest that Sonny's starting to rediscover overall his old self. And I, th I think and hope that's what we'll see in the in the weeks to come. Because like I said earlier, you get Son and Kane firing together and Spurs are suddenly a very, very difficult team to beat. Um, and yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we've seen it a few times this season when he has been on the score sheet and you're thinking, oh, here we go, he's going to go on a, you know, a massive run in front of goal again and it's just not worked out for him. Uh, I think we all thought that after that double he got against Preston uh, one month ago in the FA Cup. But, you know, while while he maybe hasn't been on the score sheet in some, some of the games here, I think it has performed well. I think the Man City won at home. He did okay, he started... I think he really set the tempo. Uh, I said that on the podcast at the time. He set the tempo for that game with a really impressive run inside the first couple of minutes. And I think Tottenham just need more from him, really. Hopefully, he can go on the run now because we're coming into the you know, the business end of the season. This is where Tottenham need to be getting the points on the board every week to ensure they are in the top four. And as you said, you know, if Kane and Son 
can click again, get on the run, then Tottenham are going to be a force to be reckoned with in the running and they are going to be uh, incredibly hard to stop as well. Right, as we're now at the halfway stage of the pod, Ali, do you want to tell everyone about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yeah, well, as you may be well aware, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. If you weren't aware, NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's something that I've used on many, many occasions, be it on work trips abroad, where I've had to have access to be able to see replays and matches and things that there's this strange thing in the world where you can subscribe and pay for a service in the UK, yet for some reason that service won't come with you. So you know, you could subscribe to something that you watch films or movie, um, TV series on, or whether it be sports subscriptions. But yet, as soon as you step outside the borders of this country, for some reason, you're not able to use exactly what you paid for. So the beauty of Nord is that you can set your device to think it is anywhere it wants you want it to be in the world. So you can set your location to be in London when you're across the other side of the world. So you can watch the things that you actually pay for uh, watching. So, and not only that, but also the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long term. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, YouTube Premium is just 85p if you change your virtual location to Argentina. And also, booking flights from other countries can be cheaper too, meaning you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There are a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. As you mentioned Argentina, I think we should discuss Christian Romero. <laughs> uh, nice segue. I love very it. nice segue. Yeah. Uh, really good game from Romero yesterday. He's, He's, it's fair to say he's been in the referee's book probably most weeks recently. I think it's nine out of the last 10 games in all competitions, I think. I read that was ahead of uh, the West Ham game. He's uh, He was perhaps a bit lucky to still be on the pitch against AC Milan on Tuesday after that tackle on Sandro Tonali. Maybe could have seen red potentially for it as he went flying in, but I think it was ahead of the Leicester game. I think it might have been yourself who asked Christian Stellini about Romero's, you know, discipline yeah. in the time of the tackles. Everything was spot on against West Ham uh, yesterday. And it wasn't just a case of he timed the tackles well and it was basically he timed it and the aggression was still there. He was still jumping into tackles and there were crunching ones as well. I think it was Flynn Downs he got early on, Jared Bowen, Og Bonner as well. And this one just his side of the pitch. He just seemed to be all over at times. And uh, I think that's what we've wanted to see from Romero uh, in recent weeks because he certainly was, wasn't was at his best against AC Milan. Probably could have done a lot better when he went up for that header, what led to the opener and just in his general play wasn't exactly uh, brilliant. So I think there can be a lot of positives to take from Romero's performance yesterday. No yellow card for him as well. I think this is what we want to see from him week in, week out. Yeah, do you know, it was only the second time 
he hasn't been booked in a match he's played in in all competitions since October. <laughs> it's just absolutely mad. I know he's been away at the World Cup, of course, and he had injuries, but my goodness. I think I worked, I totaled it up. I think it's eight yellow cards in his last nine games, which is just, it's, that's what's frustrating is that I know it's a fine line he treads. I know it is between a brilliant tackle and a really dodgy tackle. But as Stellini said to me, it's, it's the key is coaching him to make that timing perfect. You know, the best defenders, that's what they do. And when he plays like he did yesterday, you can see he's one of the best defenders out there. You Honestly, there's so many opposition fans that will say to me, like, oh, why do people rave about Romero? I mean, I think <laughs> we were laughing because like, I think some calling person on a, talk, um, a radio show the other day was like, <laughs> dug me out for you know um i won't use the expression but let's just say praising christian romero when he didn't deserve praise and i i will maintain i mean this guy was Serie our defender of the year you don't become that in one of the leagues that is the most you know focused on defending out there unless you are a top defender and he can be and he's still very young was he 24 now i think he's still so young but it's about managing his aggression in the right way because if it can be harnessed, it's, it's a bit like the defensive equivalent of Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney was at his best when he was fueled by this kind of front foot aggressive style of playing. Um, and you just had to stop it from boiling over into something else. Because I, And I feel like with Romero, like you say, I know, honestly, the amount of times guest is in the press box and he'll point out Romero surging up the pitch and sometimes even staying there. It's like it's one of Guesty's hobbies. It's like bird spotting. It's like Romero spotting. <laughs> uh, mine, I used to do the same with Serge Aurier. Um, and, yeah, when he does that and when he, he takes the ball and he goes on a run, and I, honestly, this is my prediction. At some point before the end of the season, He's going to score an absolute cracker from such a position. He reminds me a bit of Jan Vertonghen. Jan Vertonghen would pass the ball and run. Romero's very much like that. He'll pass it off or he'll go on a little dribble and then he will shoot up that pitch waiting for someone to play a return ball. They almost never do. <laughs> I don't know whether they don't trust him. I don't know. But the ball rarely actually comes back to him. But at some point bit like Ben Davies kind of run um, yesterday. He's going to find himself in a position to score a very, very good goal. Um, but he did. He managed himself really well yesterday. Whatever, you know, Stellini and, and Ryan Mason, the coach has been working with him on uh, and his timing worked really well. Um, I think there was even, I think the one moment maybe was that Bowen chance after Emerson's goal when Bowen got in behind him. But even then, I'd probably argue that Romero did enough to push him wide and slid in and obviously Forster then had to make, I don't want to say a comfortable save because that would be doing it down, but it, it wasn't probably the hardest save he's ever had to make. Um, but yeah, I think Romero was very, very good. And when he plays like that, um, he gives confidence, I think, to a lot of the other players. And I think the whole right-hand side really had a good game especially after the first half with, with Kulusevsky. But, you know, you really had Romero, Emerson, Skip and Kulusevsky. That whole right-hand side was really kind of it was flying at certain points um, yesterday. And Romero had a big part to play in that because I do think he sets the tone. And for, for a team that likes to play on the counter-attack, having someone that can so brutally <laughs> turn uh, defence into attack like Romero does, I think he's crucial to that. 
and also has that ability to kick his own players up the backside quite literally and figuratively. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it was a terrific day for him. I don't think he's been as good as he was last season. Uh, I think it was fantastic no. last season, especially when he came back in February after that hamstring injury. And that's yeah. when Tottenham really kicked on in the league and managed to get top four finish. Uh, of course, injuries have played a massive part this season. He's, he was in and out of the team uh, ahead of the World yesterday Cup. Yesterday he had a blister. Everyone yeah. got worried, didn't they? Because he went down in the warm-up needing treatment. And I, yeah, I kind of dug around and found out that he'd gone off for treatment on a blister, which thankfully obviously didn't give him any problems by the looks of it. Yeah, so really good showing from Romero. Certainly a step in the right direction if he can maintain this level over the coming weeks. And, you know, that can play a massive part in Tottenham's top four quest. And also Champions League and the FA Cup as well on the agenda. So busy few months coming up for Spurs. Another player who I think certainly deserves a lot of praise coming his way, Oliver Skip. Uh, opportunities have been extremely few and far between for him over the past 12 months, obviously, with those injury problems. He's been patiently waiting for a chance. That arrived on Tuesday at the San Siro, and he was fantastic. I'd probably say, for me, I thought Pape Matasau was probably the better of the two, but Skip really, really was an impressive player uh, on the day. And I think he just got better and better as the game wore on and very much just carried on where he left off at the San Siro uh, against West Ham. Was hampered by a yellow card early on uh, for a late tackle on Mikel Antonio, but that didn't really stop him. Lots of, you know, energy putting himself about, just making life difficult for... West Ham in general, and it reminded me a lot of Oliver Skip at the start of the 2021-22 season, where having come back from Norwich, he was one of the first names on the team sheet under Nuno, and then the same for Antonio as well before he got that injury and Rodrigo Bentenker came into the team. So it's uh, looking promising for Oliver Skip at the moment. I think he's just always needed a run of games, not just you know, 15, 20 minutes here and there because that's not enough for him to get back to his previous levels. I think when he has started, there been a couple of games. I think Newcastle at home, he did well. That was in more of an uh, attacking midfield role uh, than he's used to. He did well, but the following week at Bournemouth, he struggled. And I think it's the same for every player, as we're saying with Richarlison. They just need a run of games and he will be getting that over the coming weeks with Ipa Sumer and then Rodrigo Bentica uh, in the treat room at present. So yeah, really, really pleasing to see Oliver Skip playing well because it has, as I said, been a really tough and challenging past 12 months for him. Yeah. Like you say, it's not rocket science. <laughs> if you play football, you get rhythm, you play better football. Um, and that's exactly what we're seeing with him. I think for me, I kind of first noticed against Preston when he came off the bench and it was like, oh, hello. This looks like kind of old Skippy. This looks really kind of, he's really kind of probing with his passes. Because this is the thing, this is why I hate it when people lump him in with this kind of, it's quite an easy comparison of former Spurs Academy graduates. They are, oh, he's another one of this, another Tom Carroll, or players like this. Um I think Skippy actually is someone that doesn't play a lot of sideways passes. I actually think he's quite progressive and looks to very quickly recycle the ball and get it up the pitch. Um, and I felt against Preston, we were starting to see that. I felt against Milan, 
100% I agree. I think Pape Matsar had a terrific game and was probably the more eye-catching player. But I actually felt Skippy's role was maybe went under the radar a little bit because he was doing a lot of the dirty work, um, the less flashy stuff. But it didn't go under the radar for the coaching staff. You could see that. They've, they love Pape Matsar, especially after that World Cup kind of early return when he really, really worked hard with them. But they've always really loved Skippy as well. It's like... So I'm trying to decide between the two favourite children in a way that with Skippy, they've always been very well at tactically. He's incredibly intelligent. He's very good at knowing where he has to be on the pitch. And we were talking about this yesterday, how if you watch, if anyone moves out of position, Skippy very quickly will come across and cover. There was a moment yesterday, I think Romero went on one of his pitch long runs and suddenly Skip was in the right centre-back role for a little while. Um, and he waited for Emerson to come back as well, and then he swapped with him. And yeah, it was he knows exactly where to be. And the yellow card was a really interesting point in that started the game, he made some crunching tackles right at the start. Um, and then suddenly he made that tackle on Antonio that was a little bit late. It wasn't a good tackle, but very much like Benton Kerr, he managed the situation perfectly. You never felt like, let's be honest, although it doesn't happen to him much, you feel that when Romero's on a yellow, you're like, oh, no, oh, no. You're kind of waiting for the moment he makes another rash challenge. But with Skippy, I never, ever felt that yesterday. Um, and he's got this really good ability of you kind of think that a player's got past him, but they don't. They, he kind of keeps track with them, and then he almost scoops the ball out from their feet in like a hooked kind of sliding tackle. Um, and he was very, very good again yesterday. I mean, he's playing the side. I think playing the side on Hoybier obviously helps. Hoybier's 200th um, Premier League appearance. We should also note that. Quite a landmark for him. Um, I thought he was very good. But obviously, I think for Conte, he's now seen that the two youngsters can play beside each other. Absolutely fine without an experienced head. But also, they'll benefit from Hoybier being alongside them. I think for yesterday's game, he knew it was a derby and he wanted a couple of battlers in there more than anything. Um, I think Skip kind of gives you almost the best of both worlds. He's quite intelligent with his use of the ball, but also is someone that will throw himself around. And he's got plenty of Derby experience despite his age as well. Um, now, I was really impressed with him. I think I've got his stats here somewhere. He made uh, four tackles, one interception, and two clearances. Um, he had a really, really good game in that respect. Um, and now, yeah, I, I think the most exciting thing about him is I still don't think he's fully matched sharp and fit. I think you'll maybe need another two maybe games to really be at that level. Um, and, you know, we saw at Norwich when he was there. I know it's a championship, but that season, well, he got into the championship team of the year. He was absolutely one of the best players in that league. And that's what regular football brought him. He was so confident and so knowledgeable of where he needed to be on the pitch and what he needed to be. And I just... I feel like every time there's a, an injury for a young player, sometimes they get written off far, far too early. And I think with Skippy, this almost like, it's, it's, I suppose in a way it, it's, it's, there's a bit of an irony to it in that his injury stopped his progression and caused people to write him off. And now it may end up being injuries to others that actually presents him back with a chance to really show what he can do. Because this is a player that Mourinho said was going to be a future Spurs captain. Conte said he was going to be an important player for years to come and already is an important player. Stellini said after the game yesterday, he was amazing. You know, this is this is not like, you know, 
these are not people just saying these things for the sake of it. There's a very, very high kind of belief in, in Oliver Skip. Um, and I sometimes feel like I kind of end up banging the drum. There's almost this feeling like, oh, because he's British and his name's not Oliver Skipinio, he's not like <laughs> this player that has to start. It's, it's a funny, it's a funny way of football fandom. There's it used to be that everyone loved their own homegrown products and their academy players, and they were the ones that were cherished, and it meant more when you see them breaking through. But I kind of feel like in the modern era, it's gone the other way. It's almost like, oh, we big them up to make them better. But, you know, no, we only say that because they're academy products. Whereas actually this, you know, 20-year-old from Guatemala actually is, is a more exciting player and stuff like this. It doesn't have to be that way. I think he could be an, a really, really fantastic player for Spurs for many years to come as long as they manage him right and give him the game time. And hopefully... He continues what he's doing against Chelsea because that's going to be another huge match for him. Obviously, he played in quite... Was it all of the games against Chelsea last season? Because there was a flood I, of them, wasn't there? Yeah, I think his last game for Tottenham last season was that 2-0 defeat against Chelsea in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he's plenty of experience playing against Chelsea. I think probably four games against them. Yeah, I think year. so. And we mustn't forget, last season, he was struggling with the injury. He got that injury in October last year, and he was playing through it. This is the kind of the first time now, since his Norwich time, that we're seeing... Uh, no, sorry, that's not fair. No, before that, like you say, that start of the season under Nuno. This is the first time since then, I think we're really seeing Skippy without any pain, any injuries, anything whatsoever. And that's why you're getting the performances where we're getting. Um yeah, and I think it's big for Spurs that they can call upon him and Saar, who's incredibly talented and will have some big performances, I hope, as well as the season goes on. And Hoybier, who I think will relish that kind of um, almost like master-pupil um, relationship he's going to have with these two players now in the coming months. So uh, just no more injuries, please, to any of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was such bad news on the injury front, especially midfield with Bentaker and Basuma being out for a long period, but he's presented Saar and Skip with an opportunity they've been waiting for, and they both took it at Milan. Skip took it again against West Ham, so obviously one man's loss is another's gain. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing more of those two over the course of the season. In Christian Stellini's press conference yesterday, he was asked about Antonio Conte's return. And I think he made it clear that Antonio won't be back for Sunday's game against Chelsea. It's likely to be after that game, but not sure yet whether that will be Sheffield United away, Wolves away, or then AC Milan at home. But I think... The most important thing at the moment is Antonio, you know, takes the time to recover uh, back in Italy and just rest and recuperate because, yeah, I think it's right in saying he came back uh, a lot too early. Uh, I think it was what, about six days after his operation in Italy. Yeah. He was back at Hotspur oh, Way and certainly didn't look his usual self uh, and very... You know, he's very limited in the technical box at Leicester. At one point, he was sat on, I think, the drinks cooler. Christian Slaney was really, you know, the one on the edge of the pitch, you know, barking the orders out. And then in Milan, 
as we did the pre-match press conference, certainly didn't look right. Uh, so after a post-operation check in Italy on, I think it was Wednesday, one day after the AC Milan defeat, yeah. I think it was decided, yeah, you, you need more time to rest and recuperate. So, yeah, he'll be back on the touchline soon. We're just waiting to see which game. But I think the most important thing is he just takes the time now to rest. Absolutely. I was quite, I think we were all quite surprised that Stellini actually came out with a quite a definitive answer on the Chelsea one. I mean, to be fair, he marginally left the door open in saying that, you know, oh, the one who will decide is Antonio. You know, he may suddenly feel well and all that. But let's be honest, the last time Spurs played against Chelsea, Conte was raging back and forth with the Chelsea <laughs> dugout. He ended up with that spat with Tuchel at the end. It is the worst game for someone who doesn't want to have any stress to come back to. It would be a horrendous match to come back to. Um, so, no, honestly, I think he just, just needs to just to recover fully. Don't come back and have any... Because this is the thing. It sounds like he was still suffering quite a bit of pain after coming back. He had this device fitted to his stomach to try and kind of... It was, I, think, I can't remember the name of it. Something like a post-op stomach support, something like that. Um and look, I, I was uh, well. We were both there in Milan, and, and we could see he was—he was not the Antonio Conte we know. He looked, I'd go as far to say, quite frail at times. He Conte's never been a man that's looked his age. He's always, you know, he's very tan. He's very well, kind of looks after himself and everything. He looks younger than he is. But I felt in Milan, he looked. He looked his age. He did. He looked much older, and he clearly was was struggling with it and suffering a bit. Um, and yeah, just honestly, he's gone back to his home in Turin. He's with his family. Just recuperate. I think he was very heavily involved yesterday, uh, from what we understand. I think the last time he spoke to the players was the night before. Then during the game, there was like a barrage of messages going on between him and the coaching staff. There was a very strange scenario where. Stellini and Mason perhaps were looking to make subs, but they had to wait for Antonio Conte to reply and say yes. And there were some occasions when he agreed, and there were some occasions where he was like, no, just hold on a moment, just wait a little bit. He was constantly asking for them, like, how does their, how do they look fitness-wise? Is anyone flagging and stuff like that? Because this is the big problem with it. It's, it's so, I can imagine, it would be so difficult to manage a match from a different country because... I mean, we, we we say this all the time, that what we see when we're in the stadiums is so different sometimes to what you see on TV because you're very much a prisoner to the angles that you get and what they decide to show you. Whereas when you're in the stadium, you see the whole thing and you'll see maybe, let's say a player makes a run and then off camera, we can see in the stadium that he's kind of bent over on all his haunches, like really breathing hard and you can see his knackered or you can see the shape of a team and how the tactic isn't working and what needs to be tweaked. But yeah, he was very, very heavily involved. So I know that there's this kind of um, belief among some Spurs fans, oh, he should stay in Italy because the Spurs win. Look, the record is there. I asked Delini about it. I said, you know, six wins, 100% record whenever you've been in charge. Three at Spurs, three at Inter. And he had a little smile on his face, which very quickly disappeared when I think he remembered himself. But he made it very clear, like, no, 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 this isn't me. I'm just following exactly what Antonio's laid out for me. I know how he wants things to be done, and I do it exactly like that. 
And I think more so than ever yesterday, I think you can maybe argue again in the Man City game, there was less contact and there were more things that the um, sorry, Man City game that, that Spurs were the uh, Mason and Stellini were doing that were a little bit off book, but ultimately it's still out of the Conte playbook because of Stellini's experience with him. But I felt yesterday it sounds very much like Conte was still the manager just from afar. Um, and look, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever got the impression that Stellini wants to be a manager anyway. I think he's quite happy in what he's doing and the way he's doing it. He's a fascinating character. He's very to the point when he talks. He very much says, he's not like Nuno. We're not talking about Nuno, like four or five words. You know, he, he does give you enough. He's, But I can imagine with the players... He, he actually used this as a praise for Ryan Mason. And I think that Stellini's got this skill as well in that they can take a lot of information and almost disseminate it and give it to players in a, in a way that they can understand, a direct, quick, simple information explanation. I think that's why he's such a good assistant head coach and also why he stepped into this role really well. Um, and he certainly does that with the, with the press. We, we absolutely have... Sometimes when you get an assistant in, you know, press conference can be a bit like, oh, okay, <laughs> we're just going to parrot the party line kind of thing. But actually, his press conferences are really interesting and it's very informative. Maybe not so much on team news, which he could be a little bit ropey with, but everything around team news, um, he's absolutely fine. Um, and yeah, now it's great to see him, him doing well as well. And for Ryan Mason, I think we mustn't forget, he keeps reminding people Ryan Mason is playing a big part in this as well. And he said the other day that he can see him being a manager um, in the not-too-distant future. So, yeah, I don't think Conte will have any qualms about if he has to leave things in their hands for the Chelsea game. I don't think there'll be any worries about that. Um, he will be heavily involved again. And the, um, the senior players, the leadership group, as they're called, are also taking on a bigger role, more responsibility. And I think that's what led to this very much um, home truce, as they like to call it, being ushered, uh, uttered even, this week. And lots of people were uh, being very honest about performances and performance levels. And, uh, yeah, Chelsea game is going to be a big one. It is going to be a big one, especially when you don't have your manager there. But the City game proved that they can really galvanise themselves without um, this kind of emotional... Uh, big character on the sidelines. And I think we saw it yesterday. Stellini, he tries to perform that role. He was going at the fourth official because we haven't even discussed that. The um, the handball that apparently was decided that it was falling. Who was it? Was it Kerry? I've forgotten who it was. It was, yeah. That was him. Yeah. Yeah. As I, it was explained that he was falling. It's, it's a miracle when you can fall without falling. Uh, I've, I've never seen that before. But I mean, yeah. And the most maybe he was stumbling. But yeah, to say it was he was falling and that was his supporting hand, I'm sorry. He just put his hand out and it stopped the pass. <laughs> it was as plain as anything. But there you go. There you go. VAR, I think, looked for it at it for all of about 2.5 seconds and decided it wasn't a, um, a handball. But Stellini was going mad on the touchline about it. He was very much playing the Conte role. Um, and yeah, Chelsea game will bring a lot more drama, a lot more moments like that, I'd imagine. It's a, it's a Chelsea team that obviously are struggling. Um, Spurs inconsistent. It's it's a big game. Spurs win that. Suddenly, I'd almost go as far to say I think they're back in the driving seat for top four. 
I think they really are, especially with Newcastle having to go to City, which is going to be a big match of itself. Um, yeah, massive match and, and, and just one of many. Spurs really, honestly, I said it at the top of the show, Spurs suddenly, top four, last 16 in the Champions League, 1-0 at half-time, let's be honest, against AC Milan with the second uh, leg at home. A FA Cup fifth-round tie at a championship team who, yes, they're very obviously high-flying in the championship, but they've been struggling the last couple of games as well, Sheffield United. Everything is to play for still at Spurs, and I can't believe it after the weird season that's happened, you know, it's had oh, it's had everything. It's had a World Cup slap bang in the middle of it. It's had horrendous injuries. It's obviously had tragedy with uh, poor, poor Giampiero Ventroni. Um, it's had Fabio Paratici being banned for thirty months. <laughs> I saw he was up in the director's box today. He's very much being low key now. He's not in the uh, dugout at all anymore. Um, all of these things. Yet Spurs still all ha- still have all of that to play for. I've I, I no idea how we've arrived at this point. But it, it's great, and, and hopefully they can not let this uh, opportunity slip through their fingers. Before we move on to Chelsea, uh, we will just discuss AC Milan because we've not done the podcast since then. As last week was rather difficult in terms of timings with days yeah, off and obviously travelling back, back we, yeah. from uh, Milan. So, Ali, what did you think about the game in general then? Obviously, one little defeat, Raheem Diaz scoring. Uh, after seven minutes and, yeah, a 1-0 defeat, really, but certainly all to play for in the second leg. Yeah, it's, as they say, finely poised, isn't it? It's still there. I think, as we said, Skip and Saar, the absolute standouts, I think they were both excellent. I felt, if anything, the experienced players on the day maybe let them down. I think some of those experienced players really didn't do enough. Um, I think... The San Siro crowd, it was, like was 72,000 in there. It was a big crowd. It was very noisy. And I think that absolutely only increases the credit that has to go towards the two young midfielders for the way they performed. I felt it was another sloppy early goal that Spurs can add to their collection this season. Um, Milan, obviously, are not the Milan of last season, not the title-winning Milan they were last season. They've got issues. They've got some injuries as well, but mainly just not really playing particularly well. Um, although I did feel like their defence, they had a couple of young ones in defence. I think they marshaled Spurs quite well, especially uh, Kulusevsky. I've forgotten the young player's name. Played on the left-hand Ch- side. Malik Chow, is he called? Yes, that's the one. That's, that's the one. Yeah. I thought he was very good. Um, Hernandez was a constant issue down the wing as well, the left uh, wing back as well, especially for Romero. Romero had a very tough night, which is why I think it was very important that he had a good day against West Ham. Um, yeah, I, I think Spurs should have done better. I don't. I could say they don't deserve, didn't deserve to lose, but then I remember those two late chances for Milan, and the game could have been put beyond doubt with those. I think Spurs kind of got away with that a bit in the final minutes. They didn't create enough, but I do think it will be a very different game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, Yeah, they need to be much better, and they know that. I think there's no getting away from that. They're fully aware that it wasn't the best performance there. Um, Yeah, and a big night on, was it March the 8th at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to make up for it? It is, yeah. Obviously, Obviously, not a good result 
for Tottenham, giving that the lost uh, at the San Siro, but not a bad one, really, uh, because AC Milan could have been home and dry with those two late chances with the header one they really should have took. That just looked a certain goal, but went wide uh, of the target. Obviously not a good start for Tottenham, conceding after seven minutes, but really impressed with the response from the team. Pretty much controlled proceedings after that. Oliver Skip and Pape Matasa didn't look out of place one bit at all. I thought Emerson Royale had a really good game again uh, at right wing back. The chances just weren't there for them, unfortunately. Uh what was one of the negatives uh, from the 1-0 defeat. But yeah, very much still in the game. I think what they need to do now is just go go for it from the very first uh, whistle because we've seen some games this season when they've started really poorly and then it's really the second half you know, where they've come into the game. They can't afford to do that in this Champions League game. Uh, because Milan are a good team. Yeah, they've not had the best of uh, recent run in the league and that, but the one they'll win over Spurs will give them a big confidence boost. Uh, so it's still going to be a tough game, but one Tottenham can very much go through. I just think they need quick start. If you get that first goal, then I can see Tottenham going through, but I don't think it's going to be easy, to be honest. No, right. just before we go, I should also point out there was a visitor at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yesterday. A young yes, player that we'll all be... Yes, hopefully we'll all be very much looking forward to playing next season. Destiny Udogi was there. Um, he was flown in. I think they, he played Friday night. They lost against Inter, didn't they, Udinese? So he had clearly had a day off um, and he got to meet his Spurs teammates for the first time. I'm told that when he came over... He was very much like a quick flight in, flight out um, thing when he signed. And he didn't really get to meet anyone teammate-wise. So this was an opportunity to do that. Um, there was a suggestion that maybe he was going to do a little bit more um, for the like maybe an interview or something. I think there was a tweet went out about something. And I think it, that suddenly got scaled down because I think the whole idea really was that it, it was... You know, you don't want to upset anyone at Udinese where he's very much in the midst of a kind of a busy season. Um, I think he was just meant to really be there. It's quite interesting looking for his Instagram. He looked like he was among the fans. I think he was in the uh, in the west stand over towards the near the south um, southwest corner. So he would have enjoyed what he saw, but probably also would have thought, you know, oh, I can play here. And he's having a terrific season. I think something like three goals and two assists or something like that for um for Udinese. Um, yeah, but just interesting to see him evolved. Apparently. Well, I say apparently I've seen him talking on a, a YouTube from a podcast video anyway, but his English is is excellent, apparently. So that will he's all ready to to step in and settle down. Um and yeah, but no, very interesting to see that he was there and uh yeah, he's got to start preparing himself because life in the Premier League is very different to Serie A. Um, but he's clearly a real talent. He is, and I think all Tottenham fans are certainly looking forward to seeing him uh, in action from next season. So, Chelsea up next for Tottenham at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I think you're looking at the game on paper at the moment. Not a bad fixture, given Chelsea's record, but then again, have a look at Tottenham's record when they play against Chelsea. So, it's really, really uh, going to be an interesting game in N17 on Sunday. 
hopefully when we're back next week, we will be talking about another Tottenham win. So I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. As ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.